on today's show. A lot of us operate in the sense where it's, I'm going to be found out at any point. God's going to want a refund. I'm going to be functionally moved. Like we could say, I'm a sinner saved by grace through faith. And the Holy Spirit is putting me as a, as a seal of a deposit of my inheritance. But we functionally live and act out of our emotions that we will be moved from security to wrath at any point if God is unhappy with us. And we live that way. And that at a deep, like a kind of a consistent anxiety is an obstacle to us abiding as Christ calls us to. Stay tuned. This episode of the Missions Podcast is sponsored by Radius International. Radius International is a nine-month training program that immerses students in missions and prepares them for culture and language acquisition, evangelism, and church planting among unreached language groups. Their gap year program is available for 18 through 25-year-olds seeking to participate in the Great Commission with an impact on unreached people groups. Gap year interns focus on three things, learning, serving, and growing. They serve in different aspects of the Radius training program and learn through times in class and one-on-one time with staff mentors, and they have opportunities to grow in their walk with the Lord. For more information, go to RadiusInternational.org. And while you're there, thank them for sponsoring the Missions Podcast. And welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, your host, joined with Scott Dunford, as always. Scott, it's good to see you again. I know we've had some scheduling difficulties lately, and it's really good to have you back in the saddle. And we're glad that you're joining us here as well as you, if if you're listening by audio, if you're tuning in on YouTube as well, uh, we're excited to have you as a part of the show. And remember, if this show ends up being a blessing to you to do all the fun podcast things, to share it, to leave a positive rating and review, we're so grateful for our whole Missions Podcast family and been getting some helpful and encouraging listener feedback this week. Scott, I know you've been interacting with some folks too. Uh, what a yeah. joy and a privilege it is to be a part of this audience and the family Absolutely. around it. Absolutely. We've been doing it for a long time, and uh, it's exciting to think we get to keep doing it and interacting with people. So thank you. Keep those comments coming. We appreciate it. Well, speaking of being surrounded by family, uh, I'll just share something a little bit unrelated, and this will take us right into our topic this morning, Scott, but... Uh, I've been surrounded with an incredible team here at ABWE, the communications team that I have the privilege of leading and serving. And God has brought us people that just have a deep, sincere, mature heart for the Lord. And so we've enjoyed some precious uh, prayer times together as a team, sometimes dropping everything that we're doing to pray for someone else. And so just the Lord's been working on that team. If you're in a ministry setting and you have ministry coworkers, believers that you're rubbing shoulders with, all day, every day. Maybe you've experienced some of those same graces of being kind of in the trenches with fellow believers. And that's a joy. That's a blessing and a privilege. But multiple people in my life on that team lately have have shared that that they've they've been challenged in the area of prayer. Okay. They've been challenged in the area of personal devotion. And we're all sort of going through this phase right now where iron is sharpening iron. We're challenging each other to grow in this area because Scott, when you're in full-time ministry, whether it's at a missions agency, in a church, on the field as a missionary, some combination of those things, it's so easy to relegate that to the background so that you can get out and be productive for Jesus, right? Absolutely. And you're in a cross-cultural setting. Some of our missionaries we know are working in a hospital setting in which they're just be, they're facing crisis after crisis after crisis. And you just get caught up in the busyness of just go, 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 ministering to your family, ministering to the people you're with. And you end up finding yourself ministering out of an emptiness, 
uh, that you're not refilling, you're not connecting, and, and, and you can find yourself in deep spiritual trouble before you even realize it. So I'm excited about this next topic, this next guest that we're going to talk about. Do you want to introduce him, Alex? Yeah, Mason King is joining us. Mason is an elder at the Village Church in Texas. Mason is also the executive director of the Village Training Institute. Did I get that right? Uh, Village Church Institute. Village Church Institute. We do training. We just don't call it the title. Very good. That's your in-house theological training kind of arm for largely your congregants. Is that right? Uh, Yep. Adult discipleship within our church. Very good. And Mason is also the author of a new book on spiritual disciplines. Mason, thanks for joining us today. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Native Texan, married to Carly. We have three children. And uh, for Christmas, we thought it'd be good to get a second dog. So I got a second puppy for my kids. And uh, we had three months on. Like, for punishment, brother. I know. A five-month-old lab puppy is a lot of energy. Um, but <laughs> I've, been the, I've been in the village for 13 years and started as, an, as a free intern at our Dallas campus. Uh, then spent five years in Fort Worth uh, at, in my hometown, planting one of our campuses there. And about five or six years ago, I had a conversation with some colleagues where they uh, they brought me up here. And so I get to teach theology as a pastor in the local church and help people think through the things of God and try to do it in a way that's normal and breaks down the expert amateur divide uh, to show that, hey, the Bible and theology are for everyone. And mm-hmm. we need to think intentionally about who God has showed us he is and not just import our experience or thoughts about him onto him because it really impacts the way that we live. So that's what I get to do day to day. have a great team here oversee our home groups as well, and uh, and serve as one of our elders. And by the way, that's exactly what we're about on this show, is realizing that theology and scripture are not just for some elite class. They're for everybody. They're for missionaries on the field. We all need to be enriched in all of those things. So before we kind of tee things off into this conversation more deeply, just answer this for us. Why another book on spiritual disciplines? What's new in this book? (laughs) It's great. If you were to look behind me at my bookshelves, you would see that this middle section if you read the titles, it's all virtue and disciplines books. And so you would say, King, why would you try and put another book out there? If there's, you know, 250,000 some odd books published each year, why another one on disciplines? I have pastoral conversations each week about uh, people's lived experience with Christ and what it means to be indelt by the Holy Spirit, to be human and to be wrestling with remaining corruption and trying to sow towards the Spirit. And in thinking through why would I talk about how what we do shapes who we become? Well, it is this, this question of how do we steward who we are and what we have to become who God wants us to be? And so I, I've spent a lot of time with the literature and I decided that I would, in writing this for lay people, uh, it's a shorter work. I, the first third of the book, I try to spend around understanding why you would practice a spiritual habit or a discipline or a rhythm. And what are, why that is difficult. And then what we have to get right that I think we've gotten wrong. What are the obstacles we have to love? So a lot of it is talking through us knowing who God is based on his own self-revelation, not always that we've imported our own experience or our thoughts about how he should act and then lived in light of those experiences and expectations. So the work does that. It says, hey, here are the, all the obstacles that are very common to us. Here are the things that we have to fight and think through. And then there are three dimensions to our life that we need to offer. I'm trying to be less prescriptive and more offering a way of wisdom, a philosophy of how to steward your life to say, you have attention, uh, which is the most precious commodity you have. You have uh, your emotions, 
which are how your body is making sense of things you're experiencing. They can dictate how you feel and how you walk and find your way in the world. And then you have limits as a creature. And in a world that says you don't have limits, you can be whatever you want. Let's just find a better way to optimize yourself, to think about our attention, our emotions, and our limits, and to offer those things to God. Help us recognize the holistic nature of our, of our personhood and being what to be made in the Imago Dei is. And so that's, that's the hope. And in thinking through the typical conversation about disciplines that I have, I was trying to come at it from a different angle to invite people into delight and into growth with a long-term view, rather than saying, here's 10 steps of technique to be closer to Jesus. So, so every philosophy, every religion has their version of the good life. That's one of the compelling things about philosophy is like, what is the good life and how do we live that? And certainly as you talk about this relation to discipline, we're disciplining ourselves towards something. So what, what is unique about Christianity's ideal of the good life? Yeah, well, I, I would say that Christianity's ideal of the good life is that you have been made by a creator and the creator has a good design for your identity, for your purpose, for your belonging. And you want to find that, but any human who has lived long enough to experience their inability to find the ultimate end of that goes, man, I need something outside of myself. And the, the beauty of the Christian story is that God acts towards us in grace, in a gift. And where every other story says you have to respond either to earn or procure or to get or to pay back, the Christian story is that God acts in grace to invite us into greater delight, to find flourishing, and to free us, to restore what we've lost through sin. And when we think about what it is then to live out what the Holy Spirit who indwells us has put into us, it is then to follow the call of Colossians, to put off the old man and to put on the new. And that's where you find kind of the common grace of habit to say, I'm going to go towards this end. And after a while, what it really is, it's not adding a new sense of health. Uh, Aquinas would say this is not adding health. It's just strengthening the health that was there. Uh, and it's helping you grow in such a way uh, that God has put these things into you. Uh, Edwards talks about this as well. Um, just want to make sure we cover a Protestant base. But Edwards <laughs> is saying, hey, like, you're, like charity has been put into you. Love has been put into you. And it works its way out in practice. I love that one phrase that you used, the common grace of habit. That could use a little bit of unpacking too. But first, I, I appreciate how you anchor everything in grace. It's so easy to lose that. Those of us that have grown up in the church, whether we had a strong emphasis on our own personal piety, uh, many of us have been exposed to the enforcement of, of having a daily quiet time or whatever you call yeah. it, right? Even that, that phrase, quiet time, I, I hate that phrase, right? Because that, that doesn't really capture what's supposed to be going on. It's sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's meditating upon his word. It's prayer. It, those terms are more biblical, but there, there are a lot of maybe cheaper versions of what that looks like that are promulgated in evangelicalism. And we need to sort of rid ourselves of those, uh, ground ourselves in grace, but then at the same time, we have to be devoted to the Lord and to deepening our communion with him, uh, which is why we've been saved so that we can know him more deeply. Uh, I've recently been challenged just reading through uh, Occupy Till I Come, one of J.C. Ryle's tracts, and he's talking so much about the lack of 
effort that so many believers hear. And so I mentioned the one phrase that you use, but another phrase that you use in the book is daily sustained effort. So talk to us about, yes, okay, it is grace, Mm. but it's also a daily sustained effort deepening in our communion with the Lord and spiritual disciplines as a means toward that end of communion with Christ. Talk to us about how those two things hold together. Yeah, that's that's a great question. So let's talk through this. I think we all feel it at some level. In Christ, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we have been given friendship and relationship with God. We have been given communion or relationship with him. What's interesting is that every relationship in my life takes effort. Every single one. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my three children, with my parents, with my sister, with my coworkers, with my friends, every single one takes time, thought, and intentionality. My workout routine, my sleep habits, my diet take time, uh, thoughtfulness, and intentionality. But when we get to our relationship with God mm. and grace, people think, well, it's a relationship with God. Like it should just be easy. It should just come from my emotions. <laughs> and if it doesn't feel right, then it's probably not good. And if it's if it takes effort, then that's not really grace. And uh, one philosopher would say, like, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Mm, and if you look at the New Testament, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at the New Testament, it is replete with calls and really imperatives of, you are saved to be renewed in the image of your maker. And so, like, offer yourself as a spiritual sacrifice. Put this off. Put this on. Training for godliness is a value in this life and the next. And so it is that growing in relationship takes effort for my wife to continually feel cared for, known, loved, and provided for. It takes both intentional time, thoughtfulness, and effort when I am with her and when I am not with her on her behalf. And so for Christians to be able to say, man, the Lord is not asking me to order my steps and my moral choices so that I prove that I love him. The Lord is asking me to order my steps and my moral choices so there's space in my life to hear him. Because if I hear him rightly and think about him, my heart will continue to be changed where I will not make choices that go against his good design. And I will actually benefit from that. And he gets pleasure out of that. Like our relationship is, it shows that it's true, good, and beautiful. And so it really is that tension between effort and earning, between trying to make some distinction that you know, friendship should be easy. Relationship with God should be easy. There's nothing about the Christian life that is easy. Like the Christian life is hard, but it is a good life. And compared to other philosophies or other religions, like you could look and go, I have received grace. God has put his spirit in me. It is mm-hmm. not just up to me. And so I am not, it's not uh, that I go into this life without covering. And I think we expect things to be easy because if it's easy, then in, uh, it must be true. But that is more a cultural narrative that anything that is fast, microwaved, doesn't take effort, that I can become perfect at in a couple of weeks is good and better. And that is not a life built over decades with God. That It's just not. I remember this phrase in Bible college that my teacher would use tongue in cheek, but just in one of the pastoral counseling classes, just read your Bible uh, pray every day and everything will be okay. And oh. <laughs> clearly, clearly it hasn't worked out oh, that no. way for us, uh, that we just read our Bible, pray every day and everything's going to be okay. And you talk about some of those obstacles. You mentioned it earlier, 
in describing the book. But as we go through our Christian life, we're going to face obstacles and difficulties as we try to grow into Christian maturity. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was just reading this morning in my devotions, my read the Bible and pray every day was talking about striving to enter into that rest and the difficulty of laying hold on the faith that, that Hebrews talks so much about. But what are some of those obstacles that we face uh, that you can identify that are just common to Christians as we try to grow toward Christian maturity? Yeah, the the common obstacles that I feel within my own heart and that I have in conversation with others, a primary one is that we do not see God as he is. We see God as we think he is. And so a lack of know, a lack of knowing God's own self-revelation through the Bible and in Christ, a lack of looking at uh, how Jesus responds to people and treats people, a belief that Jesus is kind and good to us, and he uh, takes God, who the Father who tolerates us, and brings us in. Mm-hmm. Like that, that kind of ancient false belief uh, is something that gets at the heart of humans where we go, I mean, God likes me, or God loves me, but he tolerates me. And so a lot of us operate in the sense where it's, I'm going to be found out at any point. God's going to want a refund. I'm going to be functionally moved. Like we could say, I am a sinner saved by grace through faith and the Holy Spirit has put in me as a, as a seal of a deposit of my inheritance. But we functionally live and act out of our emotions that we will be moved from security to wrath at any point if God is unhappy with us. And we live that way. And that at a deep, like a kind of a consistent anxiety is a, a, a obstacle to us abiding as Christ calls us to. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one. We fail to see God is who he says that he is. And then two, we fail to believe that God, that we are who God says we are, that what God says about us is true. And so when it comes to being kept, cared for, provided for, loved, really wanted and secure, we are much more prone to say, God sees me as selfish, a mess and like in progress. And then we can say, here are all the Bible words I know that he sees me as, as redeemed, chosen, beloved, his. But functionally, in our quiet moments, when we've lost our cool, we've struggled, we've done the thing we said we wouldn't do, we think God treats us like we treat ourselves. And we are harsh with ourselves. And so those obstacles make it difficult for us to then think about ordering our choices in our days in a way that puts us closer to God. Mm. Let's talk about the practical side of spiritual disciplines. My wife and I talk about this. We're wired very differently. I'm sure nobody listening can relate to being wired differently. Um, but one of the things that, that she'll point out to me often is that I, 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 she would say I'm disciplined by nature. I don't believe that to be true. I don't believe anyone is disciplined by nature. But I think some people might be more or less predisposed to it. I've always been kind of a creature of habit to the point where if, if I'm going to work a new discipline into my life, it, it can very easily kind of slip in there and there's not a lot of discomfort with, with getting that going necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I'm up early every day. I have a certain set routine for people like me though, because it can easily become routine. It can easily become mere routine. So how do you in the book recommend that we avoid that ditch? Yeah. Uh, the illustration of trying to avoid the ditch on both sides and walk in the middle is one that I use often uh, just in daily life. The image I use in the book is considering your life as a tree. And I mean, I include a sermon from Jonathan Edwards on Psalm 1. 
I try to say, we all want at the end of our life to be a great and glorious oak of a tree, an oak of righteousness. A few of us plan for that and structure for that in such a way that we're going to get there. We want that to happen in five years, not 30. And so habits for us can become rote, can become something we put in our life. And we can become kind of, we can have a short-term expectation of fruit. Where a habit after a year could become mindless to us, but the fruit of that habit is really bored after 20 years. And it is up to us just to be there and be faithful with a long horizon of faithfulness. So in the thing of, man, these are the things I do each day. I've tried to say uh, there are aspects of yourself that you could offer to God. And so to be less prescriptive within the text of these are the three things you do. It is to notice these dimensions of your life and to keep, an, keep a watch over your heart so that as you grow, as seasons change, as responsibilities change, as your body and mind change, you are able to watch these dimensions of life and in, in union with the Spirit say, how should I offer myself to God here? And so it is like, hey, if a habit becomes rote after six months, I would just look at the habit and go, is this serving the purpose it's supposed to? Mm. Where is your heart in it? Yeah. If it's part of your routine and it's great and okay, but do you need to think about that dimension of your life rather than just the habit? And because uh, the habit is fine, but the habit is just a tool to provide space for you to pay attention to God. Yeah. And means to an end. That's why that's why those habits have to change over time because life is dynamic. Yeah. And I'm on the other side, Alex. As you know, I mean, I I, I don't <laughs> no like comment. I don't like routine. I don't like it. So I have to have these habits. And if I don't build these habits into my life, I find myself always thinking I'm going to get to it and never actually doing it. Yeah. Just just switching gears a little bit. I've I've noticed something in my life. It's caused me to make some changes just with the use of technology. There's so much benefit to technology. Being able to have the whole Bible on my phone. I've got Bible reading oh, yeah. apps that I can listen to while I'm doing other things. I'm reading books constantly while I'm walking or driving the car by listening to the book instead of reading it. That's a huge <laughs> blessing. But I found myself just being so tied to Twitter and all these other things that it was actually causing some anxiety in my life that I had to <laughs> just stop altogether. So how do you, you know, we live in a very technological world. Our kids are growing up as, as natives in this stuff. And it's, you know, it's just part of who they are at this point. So how, how do you think that technology is impacting our spiritual growth? And how do you try to address that? Yeah. Uh, I think about this topic a lot. I think that technology is not neutral. And I'm a fan of technology. I think that we have to be critical adopters and thoughtful users of technology. In the book, I talk about I use the phrase to dethrone the digital savior. And if I'm going to go to a very um, common experience for us is that we welcome these glowing rectangles into our pockets and into our lives and into the down moments of every day, thinking, this is a tool. This is great. I have music. I have podcast. I can unlock my house or do whatever or check my, check my bank. My kids can call me, all that. This is a wonderful tool. But if you think about the last like the progression of the technology that has begun to monetize the user to where you get free things on this phone, but the free things in the end have you, the user, as the product to the people who pay for the free thing. Does that make sense? 
So people uh-huh. who sell ads are selling ads to get your attention, which is why I would say that your attention is the most precious commodity you have, not because it, not because you know it's irreplaceable, because uh-huh. there's billions of dollars spent on it every year. And I mean, if you read in the science of how these how these social media apps are created, neuroscientists and casino designers work together. So like, let that sit with you. Like yeah. these companies know our neurobiology and have intentionally thought, how do I keep eyes here longer and influence decision and will by kind of a drip method upon desire and attention? And there's this dopamine cycle that we get in. And if you go to a fo- your phone, how I many, I mean, you've had the experience, you go to your phone, you check your three, your three apps, you get out of your phone and you think, why did I open my phone? Oh, I needed yeah. to check the weather. But it's 20 minutes later and you're like, oh, okay. And what this does over time is it does form and disrupt our ability uh-huh. to look at things long-term. And so when I think through that, I also think about when you repetitively are shaped by checking something, you're asking, you're looking for something when you're there. And so what I've begun to try and notice in my heart over the last few years is when I am tired, when I am lonely, when I am angry, when I am discontent, when I am spent, what am I looking for and where am I going Uh, for it? uh And often I find myself at a stoplight waiting for an elevator or just 30 seconds, which could be used to hear the Holy Spirit. And I have my phone in my hand before I know what's going on. Yeah. And so I am, I am soberly frightened and uh, trying to make space in my own life and the life of my family to dethrone that because I'm looking for technology to deliver me from discomfort, from self, from self, like not being pleasing to myself or being stressed by life. But what I find is it, it actually creates covetousness, anxiety, a feeling of being out of the loop. And it disrupts my, my ability to hear the still small voice of God. So I like technology. I use it, but it has to be in its place. If I can just say something to our missionaries that are listening too, I think you have to be really careful of this because it's, it, it, it's a struggle to be present where you are already. Yeah. And then you feel like you and your children are being disconnected from everything that's happening back at home. And that can be a real temptation to spend so much mm-hmm. time and energy reconnecting all the time with people back home, which is obviously a, a huge blessing of the modern age. But the, the downside of that is you may not be making a new home where you're supposed to be, where God has called you and putting down those roots there. And I think you just have to be really careful. Yeah. Just, just to echo that, Scott, I don't think we've yet seen the full effect of what this type of technology is doing not yeah. only to the entire generation, but then downstream missionaries on the field. Uh-huh. Because trends among missionaries that are sent overseas, those are all going to lag, right? There's Because of the, the latency right. between generational trends here and then the time that it takes to raise money, go to the field, those sorts of things. So I, I really think we're still a, a little bit of time away from those things fully hitting people that are serving in places where ABWE ministers, where there's long-term church planting teams. Uh, We've addressed it on the show before. We'll try and remember to include two links in the show notes. One is to our previous conversation with Tony Renke on this Uh, issue, mm -hmm. as well as uh, we republished an article titled Netflix is making it harder to be a missionary that kind of did some deeper analysis on this topic. But I, I still don't think we've seen the full brunt of that yet. It's already so hard to be a missionary. You have to be extra present 
in all yeah. of your surroundings. And it's never been harder to be present here in your home culture, much mm-hmm. less a, a foreign culture where all of the True. incentives are to withdraw because it, it can be so uncomfortable constantly putting yourself out there. Yeah. Something else to note about technology and a benefit of it is the availability of resources. So I have a friend who's a, who's a worker in Africa, and we were just talking about the availability of resources on the internet, where if he didn't have a theological library where he is, good luck trying to get one as short of a six-hour fl- flight. Sure. And so the ability to, like, we have more access to information than any other generation in history. But I, I think a subtle thing to that is that we think that access to information equals character transformation. And so especially mm-hmm. for those who are thinking, well, I've got access to these things. So if I have all these resources, I'd, it's like I know it. If the goal of the Christian life is to embody the knowledge of God, and we are saying, well, I trust that it's in my digital brain, so I have access to it. The fact that it's on your bookshelf does not mean that it is being used by the Spirit to transform who you are. And so mm. even if you become more dependent on resources being digital or being uh, available to you, it is wisdom that would say, this has to get inside of you to change who you yeah. are. And I'm, uh, I think many of us who take for granted what we have uh, available to us thinking, oh yeah, I know that, I've got it. It's like, no, just because you have the book doesn't mean that you're living it out. Mm. It, it made me think of, of Michael Scott, you know, read the book, I own it, but no, I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's right. That's, that's for Alex. Yeah, that's right. And that's that's very true. Uh, Scott, you're right. That, that hits that hits deep. Uh, so so how do we resolve this the office uh, quote or the books in general? Is that something you talk yes. about? The, the okay, office quote. Right. Uh, <laughs> side note, I was already talking about the communications team earlier in the show. And I've got one of these coworkers who I think he, he's been a blessing to all of us. Dave, if you're listening, this is for you, buddy. But he's he's such a good guy and he was formerly a pastor and he's praying often for all of us and he's he's encouraging us. He's sharing biblical quotes, scriptural quotes. And uh, I I asked him early on, you know, because we're getting to know you like, hey, do you watch The Office? If I make a joke about The Office, are you going to understand it? He says, yeah, a month or two ago uh, or a month or two later, he comes to me. He's like, I got to admit, I haven't been understanding any of the references that you've been making it's it's one of those like well yes. yeah i've seen the office i mean you know yeah. I've, I've seen the memes yeah, yeah right. i own the memes but no i haven't watched the office really right yeah <laughs> right no idea that's um, a deep cut uh nope but, it. but how how often can we do that with scripture yeah yeah i've oh, read yeah. that before yeah but are you dwelling upon it are you meditating upon it and so yeah. help us translate that i mean we, we've been talking about the challenges for overseas missionaries that's not our only audience listening to this it show is. How does this play into our churches themselves, even when we're gathered together corporately uh, or in our smaller group settings, since that's a lot of your ministry at the village as well? How do we fight that attention deficit in local church ministry Uh contexts at home or abroad? Yeah, I think part of it is recognizing how you are using or stewarding technology and then figuring out a way to limit its impact. And then I think stepping away from technology and considering what it is to read the word of God, read God's family, and be among God's people. And so I think you should read the Bible and then reread it and read it different ways, read different editions. And I talk about uh, different ways of reading it, like Lectio Divina, or just a systematic day by day, being familiar with it. And then when I say read God's family, uh, I think you should find older friends whose works have stood the test of time across Christian history. And you should 
You should read them mm. and you should get uh. to know why they're reacting to the things they are. Uh-huh. People could read someone from the Reformation and be like, yeah, that's awesome. And try and import it into 2023 and it go terribly because what they're responding to and doing theology in context with is where God had them. And so yeah. knowing what they're responding to, taking time to, to get it and see what they're saying is really important. And so read biographies, read, like you could read Augustine and you could read Jamie Smith's book On the Road with Augustine to see people who are trying to translate and bring them back to where we are and apply it now. Uh, I think it shows that outside of our moment, the church has dealt with many crises and survived. Outside of our moment, the church has dealt with many attacks on belief, many false beliefs and competing narratives and been kept by Christ. And so reading church history, reading God's family, as I say, is really Uh, important. And then being able to, this last one here, I'm, I feel like I've got long answers to your question. Sorry. Uh, The last one of being among God's family is to be among the people of God as often as you can. And if that's fighting to be on a Zoom call with workers and other places to encourage each other and to speak truth with each other or worship together or to be in a local congregation, it is to be there. It is to rehearse the true story by sitting under the preaching of the word, taking the Lord's Supper, rejoicing when people get baptized and singing that you could, you could be reminded by the truth. Uh, those are key aspects to fight for attention in the right spaces. Yeah, you use that phrase, rehearsing those truths. In the book, you talk about rehearsing reality. That's what spiritual disciplines are, right? It's not, and I think we usually get this wrong in our thinking, it's not unplugging from your reality to do something right. else. It's plugging into the deeper, truer reality yes. because the rest of re- life is, is so often it's an unreality, yeah. especially in the modern world. Yep. I, I think the Christian life is a fight to live in reality at every turn. And so the discipline and the training for godliness is to be held in God's reality. And so when we're, we're thinking, how do I train myself and train my attention? It's what do I need to be reminded is true and good and beautiful? And who do I need to be reminded by and among? Because this is the people God is forming. And if yeah. our attention is splintered, if our attention is given to um, silly memes and laughs and different things. We're actually using our attention for a subpar purpose on a repeated basis when we've been made and given something that we can steward for such excellent things. You know, you, you mentioned silly things and memes, and, and I think it also, I, I don't think you'll disagree with this. Which Let I me know love. if you do, Mason. So, well, well, and that's the thing is, <laughs> is joy and laughter are gifts of God too. Oh, yeah. In their proper place, grounded in reality. Yeah. So, so enjoyment of those common graces, mm. that is a gift from God. That is a grace, yeah. but they, they shouldn't dominate number one. Right. Uh, and number two, the laughter that I get spending time with my children, spending time with my fellow church members, my fellow elders, camaraderie, right. Around a fire uh-huh. that that is deeper than the laughter that I get doom scrolling for 45 minutes <laughs> looking at memes. <laughs> and one of them brings me closer to the Lord. The other yeah. one objectively doesn't. Right. So you're saying office memes are really the better thing for you. That's right. They're, they're, yeah. Uh, and doom scrolling. One thing sure. is needful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, is the needful. better part and it will not be taken away. Yeah. And I think back- that's, a, that's an important, it's an important point because mm-hmm. I would say that laughing at darkness and being, and, and being, being acclimated to find 
uh, either kind of meaningless or time-wasting things or things that God would be displeased with and letting it kind of uh, normalize disobedience to God, uh-huh. laughing at that. That's dangerous for our souls. Mm. So, and you know, I'm not coming for your TV when I say that. Like it's, you just need to pay attention to what you're laughing at right. and what you're finding yeah. funny because that makes it acceptable. True. And there is the difference of that. And then and I, if you followed me on Instagram, you would say, you would see that I post dad jokes on the regular because God has made us to be able to laugh and enjoy irony and do silly things. Uh, we should not take ourselves too seriously at all. But the Christian life is one that is it's joy and sorrow, and it's knowing how to enjoy them to the right ends. Mm-hmm. And you going back to that quite, you know, your comment about identity and remind that, that that the spiritual disciplines just root us in who we are. You know, when we're when things are going good, we need to be rooted in who we are because we can end up thinking, "Hey, this is going good because of me," and then we become right. just obsessed with our essentialness to what God's doing. The other side, when we're going through dark times, it's easy to believe the lies that, you know, I'm I'm the worst person in the world, and having be be coming back to being rooted in. No, this is who uh, God says I am. This is who I am in Jesus yep. Christ. This is my identity. This allows me to to just continue to move forward. So so thankful that we could we could give we could go on and on about these things, but. Maybe one last piece of advice to missionaries who are going from hard thing to hard thing. How do you give them encouragement to, to stop and then and just be in Christ? And then lastly, just how could people find out more about you, your ministry? Where can they find your book? Sure. Yeah. Uh, speaking to workers in the field, to missionary on, missionaries on the field, uh, you bear a hidden cost that many people at home forget about on a regular basis. Thank you. Like, thank you that you would count it and make that sacrifice. I want to say that because that's a hidden cost day in, day out that your families bear, that you bear, uh, that the Lord sees and knows. And today, as we've had this conversation, we've just Uh talked about attention. The work, this book talks about attention, emotion, and limits. And as someone who is given to a purpose, is given to a mission, uh, I think it would be a temptation to focus on your attention and shut down your emotions other than duty and uh, try and press your limits so that you could do more and more and feel like you've fulfilled your sense of obligation. And so my encouragement to you is you have many emotions and God is able to handle all of them. He knows and sees and cares for who you are. And so learning how to recognize, name, and move through that emotion is really important. Mm. Being able to be reminded by other people that you are kept in grace, who can receive you that way. Uh, I would encourage you to find a way to do that, to both mirror that for people and let them mirror it for you to receive you as Christ would receive you. So if that's a FaceTime call, Zoom call, someone nearby, make that an intentional practice to help remind you that you are a human, that you are seen and known by God. And he's invited you into this to help him know other people know him. Amen. But you have worth outside of your performance of how many people you tell. And uh, that's important. And you need to know that. And then within your limits, you have no ability to change in someone's destiny. You are called to be faithful and to be an embodied presence of the Holy Spirit and to love people as Christ would love them. And so at the end of the day, have you done enough? The Lord is the one who does the work. 
And so do not be, don't be lazy, but don't deny your humanity. Take care of yourself. You are an embodied person. Take care of your body, exercise, diet, sleep, physical or mental health, and know that you just have a short run. And the Lord knows. And he's near to you. So be my encouragement. Um, you could be very, very much be tempted to uh, focus on one thing or one aspect of who you are and then try and numb out the other things and operate out of performance. Mm. And God's not asking you to do that. Don't ask yourself to do that. That's a shame trap. And I think that if you look at your life and think, man, we've all heard the stories of the missionaries or the workers who've been on the field and they retire or they die on the field. You're like, I want to run like that. There is a long horizon of looking at what that looks like and the kind of person it takes to, to do that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of self-governance in that. And uh, Mason, get out of my head. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just, I just want to encourage you. I think there's a lot of self-governance that, and the spirit is in you and wants to help you. So that's it. Mm. It's great. And, and also all kidding aside, um, that, that does deeply strike me that uh-huh. that's powerful. Mason, thank you for sharing that. I know you've stayed a few minutes later than you needed to as well. So we thank you for that. Masonking.org is the website. Yeah. If you want to find out the book, you can find it on Amazon. I tend to blog from time to time on masonking.org. I'm on Instagram at, at masonking. The book is for individuals, groups, churches. Uh, if you're interested in what it means to be a healthy Christian and to look at it from a level of why would I want to do this and how do I think about the dimensions of life? That's what it is. Amen. Deeply helpful for missionaries, for any believer, anyone who's listening to the show. So Mason, thank you for joining us today. And for those yeah. of you watching and listening out there, thank you for joining us as well today. The Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com. To learn for more about ABWE, visit abwe.org. Of course, this show is supported not only by ABWE, but also by some of our generous listeners. And to continue to pay it forward for others to be impacted by this show, to help goers think and thinkers go, you can go to missionspodcast.com slash support. Remember to share the show with a friend, leave a positive rating and a five-star review in your platform of choice that'll help others discover this content and be mobilized and encouraged by it. And remember, as always, if you have a suggestion for a topic, a guest, something that you think that we should discuss, just Scott and I together, you can email alex at missionspodcast.com or scott at missionspodcast.com. Remember also that if you're just an audio listener to the show, you can watch the show over at our YouTube channel. And before you go, one last piece of housekeeping information here is that, yes, we are still in the middle of our giveaway for Radius International Missiology Conference coming up in June, June 28th and 29th. Just got off a couple of conference calls the other day planning for that very event happening in Sun Valley, California. Scott and I will be there. We'll be speaking with some important guests. We're going to be talking about honor and shame, other critical missiological issues that are important right now at the RMC Conference 23. Go to missionspodcast.com slash RMC 23 if you're interested in winning one of those 10 free tickets to the conference. And whether you win or not, we hope that you join us there. We look forward to interacting with you. So with all of that said, thank you for listening this week. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you, and we'll see you next week. God bless.